Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at repcoservice.com. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. It is 10.22 here on SENZ Mornings with Ian Smith. Smithy on World Cup duty. So Ricardo Ball in for you on the uh, Dilma Expertise uh, panel today. Dilma, do try it. We have Mark Hinton from stuff.co.nz. G'day, Mark. How are you doing? Um, very well, thank you, Rick. Yourself? Yeah, good, thanks, mate. Good. And uh, uh, joining us uh, out of the uh, the mighty Hawks Bay, uh, Hamish Bidwell as well, freelance uh, writer. You see a lot of his stuff pop up on uh, RNZ. How are you doing, Hamish? Oh, well, good, fellas. Okay, boys. So we've got a, a few qu- a few things to get through here. One, um, I thought we'd start with uh, on the Chiefs number eight, Peter Gus Suakula. He's probably been the form number eight though, so far this season. I know we haven't had a lot of rugby because of COVID and things, but he has just been a meter eater off the back of the scrum. We'll start with you, Mark. Do you think, uh, based off what you've seen, that he's in All Black contention later this season? It's a tough one. Um, I love watching Peter Gusso Cool. Let me just state that. First and foremost, the guy's an excitement machine. And as you say, Rick, a, a meter eater. He's a guy that I don't know what his um, actual stats are for the comp, but he would be right up there when it comes to meters per carry. He's, he's strong. He's very good on his feet. He's big and, and he's surprisingly quick um, off the mark. So, he really does do the job. Is he all black material? Look, I just don't know. I don't think so. Um, Peter Gasil Kula is what, what we know in sport as one of those high-risk, high-return types. He makes mistakes. He makes errors. He may make misjudgments, gives penalties away, but his, he also tries stuff and does stuff and makes things happen. Those type of players aren't necessarily what an all-black coach is looking for in the test arena. For, for me, he would have to tidy up those kind of loose elements of his game to enter the All Blacks picture ahead of guys like Luke Jacobson and um, Hoskins Tutu who offer a lot more, um, I guess, safer kind of uh, more steady options. So at the moment, not quite an All Black material, but gee, that upside is absolutely fabulous and you would be mad not to consider him if he continues playing like he is. Yeah, where, where are you on his form, Hamish? Well, Artie Savier at number eight would be one of the only guys in the team who's actually short of a pace right now. Like, it's fairly wide open. There's a few underwhelming performances in the last couple of years, so wouldn't necessarily be looking for someone to come in for eight. And as a rule, I wouldn't necessarily be looking for too many bolters at this time in the cycle either. Like, you have to have room for a John Lomu who came in late in 94, and he obviously was one of the stars of 95. But 
like the team should be set in stone rather than trying to pull rabbits out of the hat at this stage. I'd like to actually see the coaching staff get some performances out of the guys they've got. Like, there's enough talent there, but I stand to be corrected. But I don't see many of them playing to their potential, and I would. I'd be demanding that from people rather than saying, hey, look, we've got a shiny new toy. Let's play that one. Do you know what I mean? Like, I just think, yeah, he's okay, but it's not better than Hardy. And for relying on him to sort of spark the team up, we've got a few problems, haven't we? Yeah, no, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair assessment. I think Oscar Satudu is certainly putting his hand up as well. I, I guess the question uh, then is, Hamish, is, but, I mean, if you play... England or uh, South Africa or, or the French for that matter, is Artie a big enough number eight to play number eight against those teams? Well, arguably not, but again, he's been one of the most consistent performances, uh, performers and he always plays above his weight. I mean, the, this lack of size has been a criticism of his of him from day one. Um, the complicating factor there is Sam Kane. I mean, if, if he's in the team, Artie can't play seven. Do you ditch him? Do you make someone else captain? Is Artie the seven? Do you have a bigger body at eight? Like, I doubt that they can do Kane. That means Artie's got to play somewhere and it looks like it's eight. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Mark? I mean, is, is Artie big enough uh, in, the, in that conversation? I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I think people are talking about Suakula because he has that extra size and that extra punch. Well, I think first and foremost, the number one rule you would have when you're selecting an all black squad at the moment would be uh, Artie Savir would be your first player picked. To me, he's the most consistent, uh, the most dynamic, and just purely the best New Zealand rugby player we have. So you, so he's in the team. It's just whether he plays seven or eight. And again, I think that comes down to who the opposition is, uh, Rick, as you touched on. Against a team like England or South Africa, do you need that extra size at eight? And then you might slot Artie to seven. But against maybe teams like France, um, um, where you need maybe more mobility and, and others, um, you, you would then say well, you, you'd be happy to play Artie at eight. So I think I think it's Artie's a moving piece, but the one thing I I do know is he plays absolutely irrespective of of who we're playing. Artie Savia is in the team; it's just whether he plays eight or seven. This is the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Dilmar, do try it. All right, gentlemen, uh, Sean Johnson's out for the next month for the Warriors. Ash Taylor, formerly the million-dollar man from the Titans, gets a start. If the Warriors win with Ash Taylor in the team, does it make Sean Johnson look like a little bit of a waste of money for the club, Hamish? Um, oh, crikey. Uh, look, I think he's a waste of money full stop. I wouldn't have picked him up. I don't think he's going to take them to another level. I don't think he's got a lot left. Uh, much left to offer. Um, will it make any difference materially? No, I don't think they're a top eight team. I think they'll struggle. And no matter who they put in the halves, I mean, the thing that brasses me off is the muddled thinking. Like, last week, Cody Nicarima's a six. Harris Davida's playing fullback. Well, they've been Nicarima after one game. Like, what, where's the planning been? Like, what have they spent the last few months doing? Like, you, either, you know where guys are going to play, surely the goodness, and you know who your best combinations are, and surely you've worked on that. I just, I don't actually think they know what they're doing. I think there'll probably be a revolving door in the halves, and I don't think Sean Johnson will do anything to change that when he's back. Yeah. Like I said, I don't, I, he's a flawed player, and we know that. I just don't see that bringing a flawed player into an already flawed squad's going to do much to change anything. Well, given that Nathan Brown said pre-season that he didn't want to be messing around with his half combinations too much, he's already uh, sort of proved himself a liar to an extent, hasn't he, Mark? Yeah, uh, he does have talent there, though. And, you know, when Shaw Johnson's fit and available and you've got those, um, Karina Karima and Chanel Harris-Devisa and 
Um, and of course, Reese Walsh now coming back into the picture as a as a fullback, but he is a playmaker. Um, so they have talent, and when you've got talent, you have options. And you, and, you know, you, and, and as a coach, I guess you are tempted to kind of look at those options. The one thing I wouldn't write Sean Johnson off just yet. Look, he brings he brings to, uh, he's not the Magic Johnson we all knew of him in his peak at the Warriors, is he? Let's face it; those days are gone. He's 32 years old, and we shouldn't be surprised maybe he picks up an injury. At the same history tells you, and the NRL guys in their in their thirties are a bit more susceptible to knock. So, um, uh, credit to the Warriors for having a player of Ash Taylor's ability on hand to slot in. That's exactly why they signed him to that deal, and um, he's going to be needed. Uh, if he plays well, is Sean Johnson superfluous? I don't think so because his leadership and his control of the game. When we saw that even last week, uh, that's essential for Warriors team. He has a lot of talent but doesn't always have that uh, uh, nous and leadership and, and control around the field. And I think Sean Johnson will bring that. Um, it's just a matter of whether you can kind of, I guess, assume the other aspects of his game in his, in his 30s, that he's, he's not the threat of those other more talented, more youthful playmakers. So um, I think too early to write him off, Rick. Um, and it's too early to write the Warriors off, but that was a worrying week one, wasn't it? Uh, you know, the more things change, more they stay the same. Yeah, he's got to spell Warriors with a W-O, I think, uh, was probably more apt uh, at the moment. Uh, this is the Dilmar Expertise Panel. Dilmar celebrating 30 years of tea in New Zealand. We're going to break away to Araha with news and sport. When we come back, uh, we're going to continue the Dilmar Panel. We're going to talk white ferns and all whites. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilmar. Do try it. It's 27 away from 11 here on the Dilmar Expertise Panel. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Ricardo in for Smithy. We've got uh, Mark Hinton and Hamish Bidwell with us. And gentlemen, the uh, the next question, boy, this could, this could take up the rest of the panel, to be honest. Uh, the White Ferns, uh, Hamish, will they make the semi-finals of the Cricket World Cup? Well, we've got a couple of two-horse races to play, and so that gives you a chance, doesn't it? But on the evidence of what we've seen, I'd Sorry, mate, I should be honest there. I'm just trying to get my dog in the car. I'm down at Guthrie Park, home of Hedlock North Wanderers Football Club. And, uh, in you get, buddy. And, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, we've talked about this before, Ricardo, about mm. them rising to the small occasion, you know, beat Australia in a warm-up game, find on with it, chasing more than 300, but putting the acid on them, putting the pressure on them, and they go to pieces. Last night's game, I watched just about every ball. Um, they had some never good beaten various times, couldn't close it out. Massive choke in the first game against West Indies. And I think that worries me about this team is after the, the 141 run lost to Australia at the Basin last weekend. None of the players fronted for me. You know what I mean? Like, Mark's been there, you've been there, I've been there. You go into those press conferences, someone's really disappointed. Um, they'd rather be anywhere but there. And the questions are sympathetic. You take the person's situations into account. You lob them a few half volleys, they pat them back, and then they go. But no one had the the mental fortitude, I don't even know if it's the right phrase, to turn up and actually front that. They sent out Jacob Ward, the assistant coach, to do that. And that speaks to me of a team that, that shirks away from pressure, that, that doesn't like the big occasion. You know, I, Someone had to rise to the big occasion last night, and it was a marathon cap from South Africa. It wasn't the white fence. They shrunk from it. So, as I say, I've got two games. They're two horse races. Can they win? Yeah, maybe. They got England first up. England have been struggling, but I don't think on the body of what we've seen from the white into this tournament over a number of years, when actually everything's on the line, 
I don't seem to, to be able to manage it. So, yeah, to answer your question, I, I doubt that they'll qualify. Yeah, all right. Mark, uh, are, are you giving uh, White Ferns fans any more hope uh, than Hamish did? Well, there's hope. <laughs> it's, you know, it, it seems like a little bit of a battle with an attitude with the White Ferns against England on Sunday, doesn't it? Neither team is playing well. Neither team has confidence or form or momentum, really. Um so it's going to be who gets it together on the day. But Hamish is right. We just haven't seen anything convincing from these girls so far, uh, particularly under, in the pressure moments, which are inevitable in a uh, cricket World Cup of this nature. You know, uh, one day internationals um, have a lot of kind of uh, uh, periods where, you know, the game hangs in the balance and it's how you kind of grab those moments. And I just don't think these white fans are stepping up and. You know, they, 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 they rely a lot on Sophie Devon, but she gets 93 and they still still um, only get a disappointing 228 batting first, which just wasn't enough. And they just bat out there 50 overs, an absolute cardinal sin. They left 11 balls. Those are the extra 11 balls. How crucial. They could have scrambled off, you know, five or six more runs. How crucial would they have been at the end there? They, they did manage to at least squeeze the... South Africans and create a bit of a finish in the end. So they would go home, didn't they, on Marazan Kitkat's uh, great clutch hitting. But um, yeah, a lot wrong with them. Um, no confidence, but they're a chance. Look, they're a chance because they do have um, game breakers in there, don't they? Sophie Devine. Uh, Susie Bates has to be due to score runs, doesn't she? She's, she got, I think she's four innings and single digits in this tournament, so she's she's due. And uh, you know they've got other class operators that aren't quite contributing, uh, but they need they just need to be better. They need to step up and own the moments, and they need to um, <laughs> put some big totals on the board and put the pressure on the opposition rather than be always under pressure themselves. So a lot to do, Rick. Now, and I couldn't say you'd be confident, but there is hope. There is, there is hope. All right. And uh, our last um, conversation, gentlemen, is about the All-Whites. Of course, they're at the World Cup qualifiers uh, over in the Middle East, uh, playing the Oceania qualifiers over there. Um, I mean, Oceania is a mess, right? I don't think that's any that, – that's, that's news. Uh, but surely this is a new height in uh, r- absolute rebelness. I don't know if that's a word. I've just invented it. But playing the most important tournament – every four years and you're playing half of it outside of an international window because you couldn't get it together. Is it time for New Zealand football to consider moving out of Oceania or FIFA even looking at it and going, this is a shamozzle, let's just make it part of Asia and be done with it? Hamish? Yeah, well, let me jump in, let me, oh, let me jump in on that one first. Look, it, um, it, it seems an obvious move. Um, if you look at what basketball has done, moving into FIBA Asia, uh, for the simple reason that they just need better games, better standard of opposition, more regular fixtures. I know COVID's kind of played havoc with that in the last couple of years. But if you looked at the all-whites in the game, you know, who are we looking forward to them playing? Fiji, New Caledonia, you know, the Solomon Islands, Tahiti, whoever. Can, you know, can we really get excited about that? Whereas if they were in Asia, they'd be playing Australia, you know, the heavyweights of, of the region. Um, to me, it makes sense, but there are certainly, um, as you would know better than me, Rick, there are certainly um, tactical um, advantages to being in Oceania in terms of pathways and getting into events. But at the end of the day, even if they win this Oceania tournament, they still have a heck of a tough uh, World Cup playoff game after that. So, so 
pathways. I, you know, I'll, if it was me, I would be tempted to go. Let's join. Let's join the Asian zone. Get tougher, better games, and let's improve that way. Yeah. What's your take uh, on that, Hamish? Well, I'm a bit torn, to be fair. Like Mark Rose's that point there about the Oceania scenario, giving you know um, age group teams entry to World Cups out of Oceania and Olympics, and that kind of carry on, and that's that's really advantageous for football in New Zealand. Now, Oceania is not particularly advantageous for the All Whites, but it's a broader issue than just them, right? I mean, in the fair income stakes, yes, they should be playing in a proper competition. I just, you know, this is absolutely nothing, and it's so disappointing. Do you know what I mean? Like it's. We, I can't believe that we're like one of the few nations in the world that can't sort of quite embrace or capitalise on how big a sport football is. Um, you know, I was a kid when the road to Spain happened. It was one of the greatest things that ever occurred in our lifetime. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it was yeah, the backdrop of the Springbok Tour and football was like humming. People were so keen on it and the teams did amazing. We had 24 teams qualified in those days. Like, it was astonishing. And it's just nothing. It's just so flat. Would going to Asia help that? Yeah, but then again... There would be no pathways for our younger players. Then you'd have to say, oh, that's cool. I'll have to go and play, you know, Japan, Saudi Arabia, women, um, China, whatever. They'd have to improve that way. But they'd probably get thrashed and be on a hiding to nothing. Are they better to go to world tournaments like the under-17 girls team did and get third because they know they can get in? Is that better for New Zealand football in the long run than the all-whites playing in Asia? I genuinely don't know. It's something that they need to weigh up because... You know, for the national team, it's poor, but for the broader game, I think it's actually advantageous to Oceania. Yeah, interesting. All right, gentlemen, thanks very much for your time on the Dilmar panel today. I uh, really appreciate it. Go well and enjoy your weekends, eh? Yeah, cheers, guys. Cheers, mate. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Rick. Cheers, uh, Hamish Bidwell and Mark Hinton there with us on the Dilma Expertise panel. When making the double chicken deluxe at Macca's, we wanted to improve on the perfect combo of tender Aussie chicken with cheese, tomato and aioli. So, we doubled it. Chicken and Maccas, together and loving it. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Available after 10.30am for a limited time only.